You know, Miles, you may have promised me Groundhog Day as an anime, but I think it goes a little deeper than that. She lives through multiple days. She can go wherever she wants. We are talking about the girl who leapt through time. Hello, Miles. How are you, buddy? Welcome back to The More You Nerd and welcome back listeners who are joining us potentially for the first time. I will say, because Miles has given me a look on camera, I lied. He did not promise me that this was Groundhog Day, the anime. Thank you. I was I was literally very, very confused as soon as you said that. Uh, Drew does not practice or or tell me what his little intros are going to be. So most of my reactions are are live. <laughs> And he clearly saw the, the confusion on my face. <laughs> <laughs> so we are back with our second installment of anime this year in the year of 2021, the 2006 film, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. Which is, yeah, I'm 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 super excited to talk about this particular movie because I, I, I thinking about it this week, this movie honestly has informed a massive part of my taste in anime. For the last almost 20 years. And it's what I've been trying to get most of my friends to watch. So <laughs> when we had the opportunity to get you to, to see it, because you've never heard of it, correct? Drew? Uh, I feel like I had heard of it, but I've heard of a lot of things. But when you I would ask me anything about them, I would know absolutely nothing. I'm sure the title has come up somewhere in, in something, whether it be just looking through a, a right stuff anime sale or something like that. Uh, I, I, those right stuff anime sales that never quite have a good enough price for the Gundam show that you want. <laughs> well, I'm because that, that's 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 my experience with them. I buy them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so this this um, as we said last week, 90 percent of your anime viewing is television shows or or some sort of uh, mini series, OVA, what have you. How are you enjoying your experience with just standalone films so far? Uh, it's definitely a lot smaller of a time commitment, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but it's also one of those things where this is this is one of your picks and this is one that I'll be honest, I am not sure that I would have made the time for uh, because it 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 looks like a, a slice of life anime. It's it's definitely more based on on, you know, a, a teenager in high school. And though there's some uh, some science fiction stuff in it, it's not the well, I guess it is the sole focus of it. But the, but it's not like there's not robots running around fighting each other. There's not a spaceship, you know. No. And and this this does have a um, something that I think when you when you see science fiction become really successful in the mainstream, it often does something like this, where it focuses on it takes very realistic characters and a very um carefully crafted world around those characters and introduce, introduces like one minor science fiction disturbance yeah uh, eternal sunshine for of the spotless mind is a great example of this and in, in in a case like eternal sunshine in a case like this movie it's not the sci-fi MacGuffin. the sci-fi MacGuffin is not the point the point is the relationships between the characters that that are 
experiencing what is happening and how the one character in particular handles having this new ability. And, and it's funny that you mentioned that the, you know, the, all the things that might not have got you to watch this movie are all like the, the leading factors into what is going to get me to watch an anime <laughs> is like, it's a, it's a romantic slice of life about teenagers uh, in a realistic fashion. That is, that has uh, <laughs> become my, my favorite thing. And um, as a mild spoiler warning, we'll return in my next pick at the end of the month. Um, but yeah, this is this is an interesting movie because I, I love this approach to science fiction. It reminds me of when I took science fiction classes uh, back at our old alma mater, Wofford College, and we had to read hard sci fi stories. And while you always had the hook of the science fiction. Idea. Like you said, it was always the characters and their relationship with the world and each other that was the most interesting part. The the science fiction idea is what moved these pieces. And that's what I, I really like about about this film. Well, let's let's get into a little bit of history for this film and then talk about it, because uh, there's a lot to I, it's one of those things where I feel like simultaneously there's a lot to say about it, but a lot of it is just going to be me repeating myself because I really, really enjoyed this movie. I'm so glad to hear that. Let's let's get, let's get into it. So Mamoru Hosada's name began to rise to prominence in the year 2000 when he co-directed Digimon, the first movie. That's right. Digimon, digital monsters, Digimon are the champions. Though Hosada was working for Toei Entertainment at the time, he began to hear frequently from Madhouse Studio co-founder Masao, uh, Masao Maruyama, apologies uh, for mispronouncing that, I'm sure, who would often keep him updated on the things the studio was working on to gauge his interest. However, Hosada would always politely decline, well, but I belong to Toei, mostly by his own admission because he couldn't make up his mind as to what he wanted to do next. However, his loyalty to Toei would soon be tested and toei if you if you're if you guys are not familiar they are responsible for a number of of shonen style anime uh dragon ball has been animated by toei for however many years that has been going on now <laughs> Is it like, uh, we're getting on 40 aren't we are we oh man no I think well the 30s at least it's in the 30s at least because it would have started mid 80s probably but so I have no relationship with Digimon at all. In fact, before we started recording, Drew kind of had to give me a little bit of a crash course. I, it's just something I completely missed. I assumed it was some sort of, you know, Pokemon knockoff, but it was more kind of like from the way Drew described it, like the, that idea meets Tamagotchi's that you would battle in real life. Yeah. Is that so, so? So the the Digimon toys were, if I remember correctly, and again, it has been decades, gang. Uh, the the toys initially were like Tamagotchis, except you could also train them to fight, and then they would sort of interlock two of them together, and they would fight each other. The anime seemed to be completely different from that, and you had Garumon and Greymon and all of these things, and they would digivolve into like it's like if Pokemon could evolve and de-evolve which I know Pokemon does not use the term evolution correctly from a science standpoint, but they could transform into different versions of creatures that were more or less powerful, depending on what needed to be happening at the moment. Uh, it was also, Maybe we'll have to do a digi 
December one year. To December. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but it is it is a popular anime. It did air on US TV and it has, uh, I would say, and and again, you know, this is not a direct comparison. If uh it's like the it's it's like the Super Nintendo versus Sega Genesis of monsters. Uh the, okay. I, I, can, I, can I think that. that Pokemon is the is the much larger, much longer lasting uh uh franchise but that's not to say that digimon does not have its dedicated fans and still makes a ton of money and i think they even put out a new movie last year year before last. i think they did i mean yeah digimon isn't hurting for cash it's a it's a massively popular uh, franchise it's just one that's been a black hole in in my my nerd horizons so yeah what one 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 month we'll have to to dive into some digimon i think but back back to (laughs) the girl who left her time one image Hosada couldn't quite get out of his mind when thinking of proposals for his next project, as he described, was a brief event for a boy on one summer's day. In, in his own words, Hosada explained the idea. Let's say an ordinary boy is a main character. On one day in the summer, he will experience some crucial event. As a result, he will grow up somewhat. It's simple, but powerful. While only an image in his mind, it's clear to see how this mindset paves the way for the girl who leapt through time. Unfortunately, the proposal didn't come to fruition, and Hosada, as a result, began to consider looking outside of Toei. During a casual lunch with Maruyama, he brought up to Hosada that he'd recently met Japanese author uh, Yasutaka uh, Tsutsui. Hosada, a fan of his work, mentioned, Come to think of it, None of, uh, none of Mr. Uh, Tsutsui's work has been animated. It's kind of odd, don't you think? Maruyama, who must have set up this entire idea to, like, <laughs> hook Hosada in, uh, then asked the director which of the author's works he would adapt if given the option to. And the answer was The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, a serialized science fiction drama from, 1960, uh, from 1967. So for anime and long time the more you nerd fans you might remember that we covered an adaptation of that author's work paprika several years ago yes yeah, same author not same director so so we're talking about the the author of the book that these right. that these projects and, are based on paprika is is excellent i forgot that this was the same author so this is a kind of a treat yeah uh, so H- hosada set out or saw uh, Take two. Osada also saw the clear connection between what he wanted to evoke with his initial proposal, the the ordinary boy on, uh, on a summer day, uh, and and set to make the adaptation for Madhouse. The film worked with a limited budget. The harmonious relationship between all of the creators factored into an exceptionally positive creative relationship, a vibe that really comes off in the finished film. In terms of modernizing the story, Hosada talked about attending his first international anime convention and looking at the sea of people wondering about their connection. Was it the anime they loved or was it being connected to other like-minded people? Hosada and the producers claimed they talked endlessly about modern instant communication and isolation. And while they certainly thought constant communication can also breed isolation, Hosada does not hold disdain over the younger generations a lot of his contemporaries do. In fact, Hosada said, when making the film, I was not thinking of my own school days. I am very fond of young people and want to do something to encourage young people. I want them to look forward and feel positive about their lives. And this 
interesting because it seems to be a a, a fl- the other side of the coin of what Gynax was doing with Royal Space Force. Because that whole conversation about the isolation of the anime fan and how they wanted them to kind of question their reality and engage in reality. This this is more of a, of pondering the relationship between uh, humans and communication, but kind of coming from that same idea, because anime at the time was. Not this. <laughs> I mean, outside of Ghibli, you didn't get a lot of films like The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. I mean, this and, is this is 2006. While this is going on, the anime that I was watching or about to watch would have been uh, Code Geass, Macross Frontier, Gundam 00 Season 1. Uh, was uh, Standalone Complex for this time? Standalone Complex might have been a little earlier. Okay. But this is the kind of stuff that, it, I mean, it was very kind of shown and very serialized. I remember Bleach being popular for a very long time. Uh, and uh, uh, standalone complex started in 2002. So it would have been, it would have probably ended because there was a weird okay. gap in the, between the first yeah, season. Maybe, maybe season. solid state society is 2006, something like that. Is what I can't I'm thinking remember. of uh, I, 2006. I uh, like this movie came out like two months after I graduated college. So <laughs> I didn't have money so, to, to see anime anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, like I was I was telling you, I mostly just kind of lurked the anime aisles of Best Buy and bought things that based on their looks, because with the Internet connection we had at school, <laughs> I mean, watching a trailer or something was a little bit more of a problem <laughs> because it wasn't like I could just easily access YouTube. I think this was the first year YouTube existed. The, the, this but, was this was the time when. Uh, uh, the the seven C's, as I will refer to them, was definitely a thing, but it still, <laughs> but it still took a couple of days to to get anything of quality. Uh, oh yeah. So though the film, or, the, or the, I'm sorry, though the story has had multiple live ad, uh, action adaptations, Hosada's film serves as a standalone sequel, with the subject of the novel playing the film's protagonist, the, the film protagonist's aunt and confidant. The Girl Who Leapt Through Time was released on July 15, 2006, to an extremely limited but positive critical and audience reception. Can't talk either. Reaction, which led to a wider release as people opted to stand in the theater rather than the risk not being able to get to see the next show, which is wild, wild. to think of. I mean, because this was even the beginning of, of your Fandango kind of experience so the idea that the, the, your only option was to buy a ticket from the 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 people at the <laughs> box office it's i mean yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how much this time has changed in about 15 years but the modest success led to an international distribution and wide acclaim the film won various awards such as seven tokyo anime awards the japanese academy prize for animation of the year and holds a prestigious 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, being called Absolute Magic by the Anime News Network, with even the original author of the book praising the film as a true second generation of his book. But for me, it's the village voice that really contextualized the film's beauty and resonance in a review that raved, there's real craftsmanship for how the film sustains its sense of summer quietude and sun-soaked haziness through a few carefully reprised motifs, three cornered games of catch, 
mountainous cloud formations, classroom still lifes. And from here, Hosada established himself as a household name in, in anime fandom and would continue to release anime films that would garner audience and critical acclaim, including 2018's Oscar-nominated Mirai. And, and that brings us to this week's challenge. Yeah, so let us talk about this movie because I feel like there's a lot to say. It, it, it is a very... I don't want to call it a simple story, but it is a very... Um, but it is a simple story. That, that's simple what's story. so beautiful about this movie is it's a simple story with complicated emotions, which makes the movie more complex than it initially appears. So we have our our main our main character, Makoto, Mako, she is called, uh, who is his. Uh, she's not the the she's not the smartest kid in her class, but she's no dummy by her own, <laughs> by her own um, monologue over the opening of the movie. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, 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 I love her. I'm, and even when Hosada was talking about creating her, he, he said he wanted to kind of make someone who was very in the center a very, by all means, normal girl. She wouldn't be too beautiful, but she wasn't ugly. She wouldn't be, she's clumsy, but not, too clumsy like she, she wanted to make this perfect balance of what could be conceived as an ordinary girl and that and, attracts and Mako, yeah makoto is very much i mean not to use an uh a phrase that gets uh <laughs> overly and poorly used but there's a very neighborhood girl or girl next door quality about her in that she is your an every girl yeah uh, but at the same time, she's she's not, which is a weird thing, because we see a lot of what I would call. Every girl's stereotype, there's a lot of stereotypical stuff that happens in this in this movie, and, and, and it's funny that it works so well. So so Mako is she wakes up late for school, she races through her bikes, brakes stop working as she's cr- trying to get there. So she 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 crashes a little bit and she makes it to school and has a terrible day. There's a pop quiz that she, that she flunks. She's got to stay after class to put away things and clean up. And as she's doing this, she is, it goes to the science lab and, and she, cause she hears something and she goes in and doesn't see anybody. And as she's trying to, to move something around, she trips and falls and she lands on this walnut shaped object. And that's weird what is that yeah and it's not until a few minutes later when she's when she's trying to ride home loses control of her bike almost runs into a lady and dies when she gets hit by a train that uh and that's a rough scene like it's not gratuitous but the way in which the it's shot and kind of everything slows down and then you just hear the bike get just smashed by the train it's not violent but it sounds violent yes if that makes any sense like it's a violent reaction you don't see anything when it comes to a body or blood or anything right. like that yeah no, none of that is shown at but all you do see part of a mangled bike fly by and uh and then she wakes up in her bed not understanding what has happened that is uh, kind of a big deal. And we're glossing over a lot of that, of a lot of the opening moment, because they really do take a lot of time to introduce you to the world as it stands here. So 
we we we're we're missing moments in in our description of of Mako hanging out with her with her friends Chiaki and Kosuke, where they just play baseball and they they go after school and they just throw a ball around and they hit they hit baseballs back and forth to each other and talk about going to night baseball games. And she she has a special errand that she's got to run to take these peaches to her aunt who her aunt they call aunt witch for some reason <laughs> and uh <laughs> yeah. and and who who uh mako's mom makes sure to to say and ask your aunt witch when she's gonna get married because that's a whole other thing in this movie and it's just it's it, for so much of the opening 40 minutes of this movie what it feels like it's just a single day in in this very normal slice of life summertime anime but it's 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 quaint and it's nice and it's it's fun and it's funny and then the twist happens and mako learns that she has died and is she dead or is she alive what is happening and as part of that in talking to her aunt she realizes and I didn't realize at the time, by the way, that her aunt is the main character of the book that the movie is based on. <laughs> that probably would have led me to some like because I was sitting there like, how does her aunt know about time leaping? What is going on here? And she says it happened to me. That's and that's why she believes uh, Mako. Yeah, but it just it felt like such a throwaway thing in the moment. But again, there's there's cultural significance that I didn't have watching this. That's fine. Uh, but basically, oh, same. it wasn't until years later that I, I understood that it was a sequel. But but basically what happens then is that Mako realizes that she can control jumping backwards and in some cases forwards through time uh, and and tr- basically making her 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 best days. The one of the next the, the she goes back in time to the first day and instead of going to play baseball, she talks her 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 buddies into going to karaoke and she does I love that scene because she does it for like 10 hours hours and hours of karaoke going back for backwards and forwards and I, I should also mention that it's it's so funny to me that it is literally leaping through time she has to get a good leap going but what this usually means is that when she lands wherever she needs to be in time she is rolling and hitting her head on something as she lands it's a just a funny little repeated gag and I get why some people might have compared this movie to a Ghibli film at the time because you, you didn't have a lot of context of non, I would say, for lack of a better word, non-wild sci-fi. You know, your your Bebop, your Gundam, your even uh, Detective Conan. You know, a lot of these long-running tsunami animes. This one is is got more whimsy, and I, I think that's that's really the, the word I want to use. There 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 is a a charming whimsical nature to this film that you don't find in a lot of the, the louder serialized shonen kind of anime. But it also wasn't exactly like the closest I would probably compare this to with Miyazaki's films is maybe Kiki. Hmm. That's probably the closest. But yeah, there there is this this whimsical nature to yeah how she she goes through time and then it's a constant thing it's and and it also shows that you know she's doesn't have full control over these powers she has just kind of figured out oh if i do this then this happens yeah and 
and and yeah using it for for karaoke sessions is is great but also like i because her aunt warns her not to do anything drastic so she does at first just frivolous things like does well on a test or make sure that her sister doesn't steal her pudding right you know stuff like that but I think because of that she soon kind of starts to see the, the the butterfly effect take shape. And and that is where the movie really takes on where I enjoyed the movie the most because as as Mako starts doing these things, she starts to see how the things that she is doing to better her life and her experience are starting to affect other people in negative ways, namely one of the first things that she does is on that first terrible day, I, she fails the quiz. I forgot to mention that she sets the uh, the the cooking class on fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she convinces she convinces another guy in her class to switch places. So he ends up getting uh, setting the, the cooking class on fire. And then he's then bullied for for days after that and ends up almost getting into a huge fight and and really injuring one of Mako's friends when when well and that's a whole other thing the dude has a fire extinguisher and he throws it at her her friend Chiaki and she goes back in time to push him out of the way and she does that but then the fire extinguisher hits another one of her friends and it's a whole thing where it's like it it, it and it's it's a movie it's a move that that really lands uh really lands the sort of the consequences of actions. But there's another side of this too, that I really thought was interesting. And, and that is when, so, so her two friends, by the way, are both male. Uh, that may not be necessarily uh, notable if you didn't watch the, the movie and, and don't know Japanese names, which I don't know Japanese names, but I watched the movie. Uh, so she, she is the sort of lone female that's going to play baseball with these two guys every day. And they have a good time and they're friends and they, they you know, it's no, there's nothing sort of, there's no subtext to it. Yeah, and I actually, I really appreciated that. There was, there was a, a summertime innocence to their, their, their hangouts that I found very, very refreshing. Yeah. Like, they, they, they felt like real friends. Like, the way they talked to each other and gave each other guff and made plans and there there was just uh, the way that these characters are written feels so naturalistic and i i was so impressed with how it was done because you know in, in your typical uh, teen movie kind of production it would have been a whole different dimension to how how this dynamic between these three ca- three characters were played and, and and so this is where this is where the again the second big hurdle happens they they go they're go heading home and Kosuke needs to go to his father's clinic for something. So Chiaki decides to because uh, because Mako's bike doesn't work. Uh, Chiaki decides to give her a ride and as part of that confesses his feelings for her and asks her out. To which she reverses time <laughs> and they get on that bike again and she tries to avoid the subject, but it comes up again. And so she reverses time and she reverses time and she reverses time until to the point where she knows that if she doesn't, the only way to not, to not have him confess feelings is for him to, or for her to not ride the bike with him. But then, it, mm-hmm. but then after that, she, because and and that's that's honestly one of those weird one of those teenage feelings like where someone uh 
I mean, I, I don't know that I was ever in the the uh, the someone confessing their feelings to me uh, thing, but I've definitely <laughs> confessed feelings to other people and had that <laughs> not go super well when I was a teenager. And so it's that right. And, and it, it just it felt like such a, a, a natural moment and a real moment of, you know, when two friends maybe could become more than friends but if only one of them wants to become more than friends that's a thing and and it, and as part of this mako then goes back further back in time before this happens and that's another thing they they're all over the timeline in this movie and it's okay it doesn't matter she relives like the same it's i don't know how many days she actually gets through i think it's only three days I yeah. think it's yeah, it's, it's just a couple days in terms of the quote unquote normal timeline. Uh, but but she, so she goes back in time and does something else. And then Chiaki's other friend, uh, I think his name his name is Yuri. Uh, she and Chiaki end up kind of having a little thing going on. And suddenly Mako is extremely jealous of that. So she goes back in time to stop that from happening. <laughs> and then but then. I, and then there's the whole arc with Kosuke and the 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 freshman girl who is desperately in love with Kosuke and ha- and and Mako repeatedly going back in time to try to make that happen. And I also love how affable Kosuke is. He's so like, yeah, whatever. Like there there's one point where 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 uh, Mako like convinces him to like get them to come play baseball with him towards the end, and you know one of them will hit the ball or Kosuke will hit the ball. And, and those three girls are just, <laughs> just like running into each other, trying to, to catch the ball. And because they're not as athletic as, as Mako and, and Kosuke. And it's just a very, it's, it's a very funny scene because a lot of this is very much what would happen in real life and what, what teenagers do. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is where we have, I got to talk about this, the roughest part of the movie and then the part of the movie that almost lost me. Okay. So Mako has repeatedly gone backwards in time to try to get Kosuke and this and this uh, uh, meek little girl. Oh, I shouldn't call her a little girl. She's in high school, uh, but she this meek girl to, to to kind of flirt a little bit and and to 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 interact with each other and it seems to be going well and but part of that is that that she the that girl has to get injured and kosuke's dad is a doctor so he's going to take her to the clinic to to get her patched up and you know on the way he decides oh i'm gonna borrow your bike and doesn't tell her that it, like he texts her that she that he's going to borrow her bike but she's been time traveling so much and throughout this time she forgets that oh the brakes on her bike don't work. So this all of a sudden, this happy, fun time that she has created is about to turn into a tragedy as she races to try to stop him from going down this particular hill that she knows at this particular moment, this particular train is going to careen through. And that happens. And in that moment, and in that moment, she, oh, again, I'm, I, I can't, of course, I'm forgetting. She, she suddenly realizes she had this has this weird mark on her body that indicates how many time jumps she has left, which is I wish had been introduced maybe a little earlier. But, you know, but yeah, and she doesn't understand it until way too late. Yeah. But uh, 
so Kosuke and this girl die. Except they don't. Because as it turns out, and this is the part of the movie that almost lost me, her other friend, Chiaki, who has had this weird background and people think he's been kicked out of this school and that school and he's on the run from the cops and blah, blah, blah. Turns out he's from the future. The time travel device that that gave Mako her ability to time leap was his. He dropped it in that classroom and she bumped into it and absorbed all its powers. And he used the last of his time jump abilities to save Kosuke and the girl. But now he is stuck in the past. OMG. So, uh, so one one of the reasons the the, the initial scene where uh, Kosuke and the girl get hit by the train is so powerful because, as as we said earlier, the initial time where where Mako gets hit by the train, there's no blood, no body, no nothing. But in her attempt to stop. I guess we should rewind. Have we have we talked much about the, this hill? That not really. The, just that there's a giant hill. Yeah, and and there's the, a, the train tracks are at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, and it's an extremely steep hill, which which also informs you know why her brakes are kind of run down, and she is trying to to get down there to stop him, and and she ends up kind of really crashing, and it's the one time you see blood, and you see because you know she's uh, her face is all not. not busted up or anything like that, but like that, but you see blood and, you know, some shading to it, to, to inform that she has been kind of tossed around, uh, in this bike crash, trying to stop this accident from happening. And I think the, because the film is so reserved in, in the lack of violence at the beginning of the film with the first, uh, train crash, I think it, it really, makes this scene so much more powerful because you feel yeah. the the pain, the loss, and, and it's viscerally there in the scene. And I, I, I and, and, the, and correct me if I'm wrong. The, and for, the guilt, there is a, tr- you feel oh, her yeah. guilt about what has happened and what she is, because this is all her doing and all of the stuff that, that her aunt told her, told her not to not do, to do she did and she was trying to be better and she was trying to help she started trying to help other people instead of helping herself but it still resulted in in these two people dying now, and drew i wanted to ask you is the reason that the next part almost lost you is it because it it, it does feel a little bit like it undercuts the scene that comes before it i'm sure that's certainly part of it it also just felt super convenient and also felt completely out of nowhere. Now, in hindsight, in the research that I have done about the original story, I should have known if I had read that, that this is probably going to happen. But that that is where... Because this is a at the same time a retelling but a sequel story to to the the book in the original book one of the the trio the there's two 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 boys and a girl and one of the boys is from the future who has traveled back in time and has and, and as part of that has given the the aunt anti-witch a, a the ability to to time leap 
it, it just in the moment I was like, you mean this dude is from the future the whole time? I, I mean, I know I saw him in the background of some scenes looking at trying to look at this picture that wasn't there, even though he had a different haircut at the time. Like it just seemed too convenient. Uh, but but I got over that fairly quickly because it. I don't know. Earlier scene where he he does ask her like on the phone or something. How how long she's been jump time jumping? How long how long have you been time leaping? How long have you been time leaping? And that's like right before the the. No. Yeah. So like, is it? I'm trying to remember the placement because because the time the timeline does 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 bounce around a bit. Um. I feel like I feel like the the reveal is still a surprise, but for oh, whatever reason, I, I remember when it happens because she's trying to call Kosuke on her phone to try to get him to to find out because she she gets to the bottom of the she gets to the bottom of the of the train is. tracks and and the train goes through and there's no bike so she thinks oh what's going on and so finally her phone rings and that's right and uh and it's but it's not Kosuke it's Chiaki and and he asks her about time leaping and then all of a sudden. As she's on the phone with him, Kosuke pulls up on the bike. He's like, hey, Mako, how you doing? And goes down the hill as the. As the elves are about to come out, because there's this big thing in the middle of the street, which is this like. Elves hitting a drum that that happens at a certain time. Yeah, it's just like a, a little like uh, <laughs> like an old grandfather clock type of deal. Yeah, where but, the, but, it's but, that, but it's a notable thing because they keep those specific moments because mm-hmm. they pop up multiple times in, in the movie and they keep those specific moments every time. And but it, it, and so it turns out Chiaki is from the future. He was coming back in time to see this one painting that he could never see. But. He's used up his ability to travel back in time so, or travel forward in time, so he's stuck there now. So what are you going to do? And well, it all works out for the best in the end and because of time jumping. And I don't want to get too much into that because it just involves <laughs> Mako kind of getting extremely lucky and uh, and uh, and and saving the day and also still doing her best for Kosuke and all of that. But. Uh, the painting thing was also weird because it seemed completely out of nowhere, but so where did the film get you to come back in? It was the film got me to come back in when. Mako was dealing with the repercussions of her actions. Mm. Yes, Kosuke and 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 his his potential new girlfriend were alive, but she is in love with Chiaki and he is now stuck in the past. And as much as she wants him to stay stuck in the past. She knows that she has unknowingly robbed him of of that ability even and and he has talked to her about this painting that that he wants to see that as it turns out she's seen because her aunt is the one that's been restoring it for <laughs> for a period of time and that if he just stayed a couple more days he could see it but he has broken the cardinal rule and told people in the past about time leaping so he's going to go do something that we don't know presumably <laughs> If I had to guess, because he seems to disappear from everywhere. I think it just gets pulled back because they they the way the film ends is them talking about seeing each other in the future. I don't think he gets pulled back because I think he's I think he's stuck there. He's broken the cardinal rule of time travel. And because because he doesn't have the ability to return to the future. They make a very strong point about that. It's that 
it's Mako realizing that when he reversed time to save Kosuke, it also reversed her time to the point where she has one more jump left than she thought she did. So she goes right. all the way back to the very beginning before she even touches the the time walnut, whatever that thing is, so that she can tell talk to him prior to anything else happening that one she knows who who he is they have this very like again the time travel like he doesn't suddenly have he's not an all-knowing being in this he is just affected as affected by time travel as everything else and anybody else no he's so he's so distraught and annoyed when she when she he finds out that she knows about him time traveling he's like why would i tell you this yeah and i and I, i honestly i i really like that and it's it's probably that that brought me back in is that the time the rules of the time travel still apply the fact that the rules of the time travel apply to give her a time jump back is honestly really cool it's good thinking it's something i would not have thought of in a time travel story that if she had used it and then somebody reversed time to before she used it it'd be perfect but uh Oh, because that's the thing. She uses her last one on a on a on that phone call with him to to talk about it. But uh, that's probably what yeah. I, I do disagree about not knowing about Chiaki because I mean the the last line he has is "I'll be waiting in the future." No, I mean I I think in that final conversation that they have, she confesses her feelings for him. He confesses the feelings that he has been feeling, though he had not worked up the the nerve to ask her to talk to her about it and and but but he uses his last time jump to go back to his time presumably we don't and we also don't know how far uh, it's one of the messy things about time travel is like the whole sentiment is sweet and with any time travel story the more you think about it the more it kind of falls apart well and and, and that he's apparently (laughs) from far enough in the future where baseball doesn't exist that something else doesn't exist it was a, it seemed like a pretty it seemed like a pretty rough time but also a time where they have time travel and they can go back in time yeah, yeah the, i mean the thing the, the, the stuff that works the least is whenever uh he talks about the future yeah and, and and that that is a little bit of a problem if you want if if that's the kind of thing that's going to bother you um but i for me the the character work in 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 this film and the the actual storytelling is is powerful enough that some of the minutiae doesn't really bother me. Yeah. Again, and, it's, it's, and, it, and it doesn't here either. Like I said, it almost took me out, but I, 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 I believed it brought me back in and I, I, I stuck it out to the end for a, for just a very quaint, nice ending that, it's a very sweet movie. It's a very sweet movie. And I did. There is a, a song over the end credits and I watched the dub cast of this movie, which the dub was fantastic. Uh, yeah, it won an award for the dubbing and, and uh, Emily Hurst, who plays uh, Mako, won a young artist award for best performance in voiceover role. Yeah. Like it, it. It was a very, very popular dub, and it's easy to see why it's so well done. It, it, her performance especially is stellar. She mm-hmm. she gets she gets everything, everything right, including 
realistic crying sounds. And I know that sounds, why would you pay attention to that? But she... There are some powerful moments with her crying that could have been bad if it were performed like a standard anime. Yes, and that is a thing that you got, like... That's a that's a different conversation that we we will have at a later point. But uh, this doesn't feel like standard anime, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like stunt casting. Like, you know, when you have a major right, like when when a Miyazaki movie comes out in major theaters, like uh, when when Princess Mononoke came out, uh, Gillian Anderson is a character and 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 such and such person as a character. I watched Howl's Moving Castle uh, the other day for the first time. Billy Crystal is one of the characters in the dub for that because those Miyazaki movies, they got big A-list actors. Actors, yeah. But it's also not... I mean, part of it is because Ocean is is the company that did the, the dub for this and Ocean does a ton of anime, but it's also not like your stereotypical anime actors, anime voice actors in America and Canada trying to sound trying to match the intonations of their japanese counterparts which doesn't always work with the language change mm-hmm. and uh uh that's that's a different conversation but she she has done she hasn't acted in a while at least not yeah, uh, not any not anything on on uh at least not, nothing that would have shown up on film or television. She could be a stage actress or Broadway actress. And I do not know that, but um, she, she did such a phenomenal job here. Yeah. The, the movie does live and die by her vocal performance and, and everyone else is excellent. The both um, Chiaki and, and uh, Kosuke do an excellent job by not sounding like your typical standard Japanese anime teenagers. Yeah. And especially at how they're written, the, the, the fact that everyone is written naturalistically and you don't have those weird chibi comedy moments that will ruin some animes. And and Andrew Francis, who played uh, Chucky, I mean, he has been a busy boy. <laughs> he I mean, he's been in several Gundam productions, uh, specifically Double uh, O. He's uh, Las Aeon. Las Aeon. Lasse. Um, and he's I mean, yeah, he's been in, in Black Lagoon. He's did, actually done a variety of, of Gundam voices. Uh, well, My Little Pony, French of His Magic. So, so he's, o- uh, Ocean, Armor. Ocean is the company that also did a lot of the initial. I believe they did Gundam Wing and the original Mobile Suit Gundam, as well as uh, Char's Counterattack. Uh, and then later, later worked on Double O because I'm fairly certain that uh, Alex Zahara, who played Kosuke, has also been in uh, maybe not him. There was another there was another uh, Gundam actor that I saw and in, in, that was a part of this. Cast. There, there, there was. And yeah, he he's been in so much stuff and you can tell that they got voice actors as far as the English dub is concerned. I feel like the, that whoever was voice casting was taking the movie as seriously as the Japanese filmmakers. Because you could have easily gone with, you know, your standard tsunami kind of actors, which no disrespect to them. It's not that they do a bad job, but a film like this calls for a different kind of performance. And I feel like the the three teenagers and, and really everybody, but the three teenagers especially did such an exceptional job in grounding these characters and, and and speaking of of, of grounding, we got to talk a little bit about the absolutely stunning 
setting animation in this film. Oh yeah. So much of it is hand-drawn and I, I have become a complete snob about hand-drawn animation in, in the last 18 months because so much is computer generated now, even if it's even if it's, you know, supposed to look like it was 2D hand drawn, it's computer generated. And I, I I don't know. This could be also be computer generated, and I just don't know. But I the, I mean I I've I've got the the making of book right here, and they actually have a a, a little bit of on on the actual painting of the the backgrounds and everything. So this, this was, I mean, every anime production in the last 25 years uses computer animation in some form oh, or yeah, fashion. For sure. For but, sure. but yes, this is, um, this is such an exceptionally done. And it's one of my favorite things. And we will talk about this at the end of the month as well is I think when you have the setting as meticulously detailed as you do, even with characters who are, and you can tell it's not that they cut quarters, but they use such a simple design for Mako. She's very simply designed with very little shading to kind of, I think, differentiate her from a lot of the anime at the time. Mm. Because she just looks so different than a lot of anime protagonists in how she's shaded and colored than other anime from 2006. And, yeah. you know, she she it, it's bright and it's got a simple design but it works and i i think the, the simplicity of the characters also helps highlight the just absolute stunning detail of of every background in this film it is it is gorgeous in its quaintness and and i say that and like because if you look at like I, i'm gonna come again compare this to a miyazaki movie like you look at any miyazaki movie where there is a an everyday location or something like that. And, but Miyazaki movies tend to thrive on the, this sort of whimsy, this magical whimsy. Mm -hmm. And this movie doesn't do the magical whimsy part. It just does the every day. It's, it's everyday whimsy. Like that, that, (laughs) that you look in her, in her room and you see just, what looks like a, a teenage girl's room with an alarm clock and, you know, all the stuffed animals and, and this and that. Or when you go to Auntie Witch's office where she works in a museum restoring paintings and just the crazy detail of all the posters in the back and the art in the back in the background that is is never pointed out. It's never there for you to focus on. It's just there. And it's 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 a wonderfully, wonderfully animated movie that that really I mean, even down to the characterization, these are not super complicated character animation faces and and <clears throat> movements, but they work when they're playing baseball. You they look like they're playing baseball. They, they, it, it's 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 beautifully done. And I and that's about all I can say about that. It, it, <laughs> it no, it, it, it's, it, it is beautifully done. And. I, again, the, this this film was so influential on my personal taste in anime i mean if if you see me in person you see that i have a full metal alchemist tattoo you know i like that kind of anime but when it comes to the well like 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 drew said that kind of uh slice of life coming of age romance which i seek out pretty often a lot of times there are things about it that 
utilizes modern anime tropes in a way I dislike. And films like this, and notably, I would probably say my my absolute favorite uh, romance anime series is, is called Just Because, in so much that it uses a similar formula in in not utilizing some of those those tropes and undercutting serious moments with really bad comedy like i'm i'm fine with good comedy but a lot of anime likes to use the same sort of repetitious uh you know a girl nosebleed (laughs) nonsense and this film doesn't do that at all And, and in fact the interactions between all of the main characters is is beautifully realistic it it felt like these these three if you didn't have the revelation that one of them is from the future you would think these these three people had grown up with each other since age 4 yeah and definitely it's that kind of storytelling that i i love most in anime and this this film is an excellent example into how to do that and do it well you can you can utilize different aspects of of this style you don't have to do the hasada style and and we will talk a little bit about kind of modernize that modern modernizing that a little bit uh later this month but this film to me is it's one of my favorite anime films of all time in in that it's just a beautiful simple science fiction story and the science of the fiction doesn't matter. The science fiction itself only matters a little bit. It's the way in which they tell the story through amazing natural characters. And I, I just think this movie knocks it out of the park. 100% agreement. So that has been the 2006 film, The Girl Who Leapt Through Time. So now let's talk about what we're doing next week. Oh, so, here we go, gang. Next week is one that neither Drew nor I have seen. Now, and so, so, so I am I will excited. Say, I picked this movie. This is a movie that I picked because I saw and I, I went through a lot of, you know, underrated anime movies or less talked about anime movies. I went through so many lists of, of underrated anime movies, and then half of them would include like uh, you know, into Evangelion, like that's not underrated. That's very popular. Akira, that's not <laughs> underrated. That's very popular. But one that kept popping up on these lists, and one that I had never heard of before, ever, is a movie called Redline. It is a 2010 movie uh, directed by Takeshi Koike, uh, which I believe was his animation debut or a uh, directing directorial yes. debut, uh, but we'll we'll get into that in a minute but uh it's about a daredevil driver and his secret love face off in the most dangerous and exciting car race in the universe yeah i i i mentioned earlier about you know lurking in the best buy anime section on always buying random movies this is what i saw a lot in the final days of best buys anime selection and i remember seeing this i think it used to be on hulu and it's one that i always have almost pressed start on and it's it's a couple times because they they would have anime sales frequently in in 2010 i almost bought a number of times like half off and just didn't do it 
and I've always been intrigued because it's it's what kind of claim to fame is how long this movie took to make because it's got over a hundred thousand hand drawn frames, which is and wild. <laughs> that's insane. And as someone who is a big proponent of hand drawn animation, as Drew is, I am so excited to see what this is because I know almost nothing about it. I don't even think I've seen a trailer for this movie. I, I I watched a little bit of the trailer just to see the animation in action, and I am extremely excited to see this. The style looks completely bonkers. It looks like mm-hmm. nothing that I would have been into, but also the fact that it's it seems to be hand animated is wild. Um, look, I looked it up on IMDb. Uh, there are two movies from uh, a couple of years called Red Line. One is a uh, a live action uh car racing movie that has a zero percent on rotten tomatoes and the other is this movie which has a 70 percent on rotten tomatoes with a uh let's see what the the user score is uh, if it will load in time for me to say that which it's not doing so it doesn't matter anyway uh 85 viewer score so i'm exactly solid. I, I'm, I'm excited up to to see this and again i had never heard of this before i've never seen it so let me tell you where you can find it you can find this on voodoo or tubi uh free with ads it's also on uh plex amazon prime plex free with ads is it on prime now it's on prime but through their imdb tv so it's free with ads on prime as well okay um it's also you can you can rent it for four dollars you can buy it for eight dollars in most of these places which i don't i don't know i'm I'm debating i'm debating but uh i just it i so but what i will also say it's rated pg-13 but it also has seems to have an 18 plus rating on certain like amazon like uh it's rated pg-13 but then amazon says it's 18 plus i have no idea what the content is going to be in this movie whatsoever so watch at your own risk uh, but uh, I'm excited to see this because I think it looks wild, and uh, I hope that it meets. Yeah, the, I'm uh, seeing the, some of the critical reactions, and it's getting me excited to the like being compared to Speed Racer on crack or a remake of Wacky Races with art inspired from Jack Kirby comics. I like, love those are. I love that. I love yeah. that. Those are things I, that I, I mean, love. <laughs> I am in. Uh, if. If Scott Pilgrim vs. the World was an assault on the senses, Redline is a declaration of war. Okay, I, I am all in on, <laughs> on, on checking this. I mean, I was excited to begin with because I hadn't seen it, but like reading these descriptions, I am, I am excited. Wacky races with art inspired by Jack Kirby just sounds a hundred percent my thing. Yeah, this is gonna be dope, and I can't wait. Uh, so that is gonna be next week as anime continues but in the meantime if you would like to get a hold of us you can find us at themoreyounerd.com where you can find both this episode that you're listening to right now as well as our entire archive and we have been going for so long that not every podcatcher has all of our episodes anymore so if you want all of the episodes themoreyounerd.com has them all you can also find us at on twitter at the more you nerd facebook.com slash the more you nerd and you can email us your reactions to watching the girl who left through time your reactions to redline next week the more you nerd at gmail.com that's the more you nerd at gmail.com and miles i my wardrobe <laughs> is a little lacking that's right 
where can I well, where can I get some some dope swag as the teens call it today? They don't call it that anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> uh, so if you want to get some the more you nerd merch, you can go to the more you nerd You can get our 10th anniversary Gundam in a variety of styles and accessories. And I will be making an announcement today that next week we will be unveiling another new design. Uh, I was planning to do it this week, but it has been a little crazy in in the southeast with this uh, gas crisis issue. So we've uh, we've had other things that we've had to, to take care of. So we're gonna push that back to next week. If y'all thought I was excited about the Gundam, I might be as excited slightly more excited I'm, about the next i'm one. really pumped about this design i'm i was actually kind of nervous to show it to drew and drew was just i was blown away i was blown away yeah he, well, he responded with some some expletives i can't i can't uh say <laughs> on family podcasting but it was i i was very 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 excited and i can't wait to show everybody next week So with that said, gang, we are going to end the show as we always do with a rousing nerd out.